Hit it. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. You're listening to Pod Me If You Can. This is Pod Me If You Can. Movie reviews by David and Lloyd. An Australian podcast on your favorite movies. Go to www.podmeifyoucan.com. Welcome to Pod Me If You Can, I'm David Farrell. And I'm Lloyd Hughes. Today's film is Suicide Squad, the much... I mean, it's hyped, it's everywhere. You can't walk across the street without seeing it on a bus. There's billboards everywhere. The budget of this film's $175 million, but as well, they've probably used just as much in publicity. The stars are everywhere. It's big. We've just watched them cosplay, and and every trailer was watched with much anticipation for the DC Universe, because we've seen Batman vs Superman, which we've reviewed on this podcast, and we're continuing the saga uh, into Suicide Squad. Just a heads up, we always discuss films on this podcast with spoilers in mind, so if you haven't seen the film, check it out and then come visit, otherwise you have been warned. Lloyd, you saw this in 3D, you mentioned. Yeah, that's right. Like, um, it's I don't think it's worth it at all to see it in 3D, but the opening titles and the ending credits looked absolutely amazing. That doesn't make it worth watching in 3D. <laughs> I happily watched it in 2D. I, I find that 3D these days, I really need a film like Avatar to entice me. Anyway, this is the return of the Joker after Heath Ledger passed away uh, shortly after doing the role and... And the character was rested by um, the DC Universe, I suppose. This is the big return, and Jared Leto's the man. So um, what did you think of his performance, first of all? Yeah, I thought he was perfectly serviceable. Like, he's not up there with Heath Ledger or Jack Nicholson or anything like that. I just think he was perfectly serviceable. I think that there was a lot of issues with Suicide Squad, which we'll get to. And I, I think they did did themselves a disservice by it just seemed like they tried to shoehorn the Joker uh, as much as possible in the Suicide Squad. I, I never thought uh, the Joker was part of the Suicide Squad team, but if you look at the trailers, he looks like he is part of the team or at least the massive villain that they have to fight. So uh, I'm reading a lot of uh, reviews that they were very disappointed with how little of the Joker um, there was in the movie Suicide Squad. And he, and at many times he did seem like he was shoehorned in there by a, you know, a studio team. I don't know if any of the reshoots had anything to do with this. I think the reshoots were to add uh, comedy. So, you know, that sequence where Harlequin breaks the window and she leans down and picks up that necklace and the guy's like, what's wrong? And what's wrong with you guys? And she says, we're bad guys. You know, there's stuff like that. Quick one-liners. I imagine that line where the the croc man says, I'm beautiful or whatever was in there for comedy as well. Just felt like they reshot a few scenes and, and quick takes so they could get a bit a few more laughs. Um, for me, that is the main problem with Suicide Squad. And we'll get to what we love as well. But I feel like you've seen the trailers. I didn't think Joker was part of the Suicide Squad, but I did get the impression he was the main villain. Enchantress never seemed like she was the main villain. Yeah, they did well hiding her. Yeah, and so I am I feel like we've been handed something and we're supposed to be buying this thing, knowing what it is, and then when we open it, it's something completely different. That's what's disappointing fans most, is because if they gave us a pretty straightforward A to B story with the Joker, you know, throw up the bat signal at one point, have him do a cameo, I think this would be much better for it. But instead we get this love story between the Enchantress and Flag, the, right? That, yeah, that's one of my biggest disappointments of the film because that wasn't, like, like either have... Uh, it, it, there's delicate skill in showing very little of Sonic but showing some. Uh, there's so much more depth there and I didn't get any of that. Like, they didn't show... They didn't have enough scenes to showcase that they were in love. They. The, it was just so... Such a small plot device that you just had to go, oh, I, I, I assume they're in love. You know, you, I just have to take your word for it because we never saw that. Well, the problem is the relationship between Enchantress and Flag, and I can't remember her real name, like Olivia or Jane or whatever it was, but the thing is, we don't care about their relationship. We don't see them together enough. Viola Davis says a line when she's doing the big recruitment drive. She says, just as I hoped, it got personal. That and was we, your plan? Yeah, and so her plan was to put them together so they would fall in love. Like, what if that didn't work? I, I had a real problem with that 
bit of dialogue. Well, and then he leaves the room, and then an, a, a, the, another door opens, and another handsome US soldier comes <laughs> walking in. <laughs> yeah, Scott Eastwood was the next <laughs> yeah. in line. Well, I mean, I didn't buy their relationship at all, and uh, I was put off because they're such kind of B-level characters in the scheme of things, you know. The thing is, also, I thought the chemistry was amazing between Harlequin and um, Jared Leto's uh, Joker. So, like, because they're so strong in terms of a connection, you know, she's got crazy eyes for him. Uh, that's what they're competing with. So we're being sold this big love story of Enchantress and Flag, and we don't care. Like, and I don't know about the casting for Flag. I haven't seen him in anything else. But um, I thought maybe he was miscast as well. Well, yeah, with Harley Quinn in the backstory, like I, I'm a huge fan of Harley Quinn from the animated TV series where she originally spawned from, and that's a fantastic series. If you guys haven't seen it, maybe you're too old now <laughs> or missed the boat on that one. But there is a moment where the Joker grabs some wires, and he, uh, um, it's implied that she he starts zapping her in the brain. I never knew that he he mentally damaged um, Harley Quinn because that's the implication that Suicide Squad gives. And if that's the case, then, I don't know, it just sort of hurts the character of Harley Quinn. I always thought she was really absolutely in love with the Joker and it's just the old story, or oh, that girl f- falls in love with the, wor- with the wrong guys and she just goes down that rabbit hole of, you know, of craziness with the Joker. Um, just the idea that Jared Leto or the Joker, you know, damaged her in the brain and she is mentally scarred forever from that just gives me a different impression of harley quinn i don't know if anyone else saw that okay i can see how you got there i felt like she was maybe already damaged in some way and this really you never thought she just absolutely loved the joker anyway she just fell in love like over time just from being uh, the counselor for for him and in arkham yeah, that Florence Nightingale syndrome. Yeah, like, I, I know, that just seems better to me, that love can do crazy things, and unfortunately one of the crazy things it can do is produce Harley Quinn. <laughs> that, that That's one of the things that's so remarkable uh, about that relationship, I think, is that there is a bit of um, truth uh, to it in, in terms of love, I guess, <laughs> not to get all corny. That you can fall in love with monsters, you know, you hear about people writing to people in prison and falling in love with them and mass murderers and stuff like that. Yeah, so if, if I'm wrong, guys, write in, go, no, no, that's originally what it was like in the cartoon series. I don't remember that at all. I just remember this young, beautiful, super talented um, psychologist um, being, you know, um, the Joker's, uh, being assigned to the Joker and then slowly over time falling in love with him and then that's how Harley Quinn was made. But again, if, if you guys know anything, just just comment on our Facebook or our YouTube. And The yeah. thing is that we're doing this as a part of Margot Robbie Month in August 2016. So all these films are focusing on Margot Robbie and her performances. So I think if you watch this film, Suicide Squad, I think we found the role that Margot Robbie will be remembered for. This feels like her equivalent of Chris Hemsworth's Thor and iconic as it is, there is sort of a, a birth to Margot Robbie here that pushes her to the next level. You know, I feel like she's going to be commanding a lot more money for each performance and and after this, they're doing a Harlequin movie, Lloyd, that she's yeah. producing. Yeah, well, I, I think they she absolutely nailed it. The only thing I'll say against this is that Margot Robbie is so sexy. She didn't need to be wearing such revealing outfit, <laughs> such a revealing outfit throughout the whole movie. Like, just put her in tights. Like, the original Harley Quinn was like almost like a teenager, like, I, I guess, and just over time, she's just been heavily sexualized, especially in the last 15 years. I get that. I, I just think they went a bit too far in this movie. Like, uh, she's bar- basically wearing a G-string throughout the whole movie, you know? Like, I, I just felt that Margot Robbie is sexy enough. You didn't need to go that far. Sure. Okay, well, I'm going to play the other side of this because I hear people listening to this shouting at us going, what? Margot Robbie definitely had to wear that. That was what got people into the cinema, butts in seats. I mean, the cast of the movie is why you watch this. You don't watch it for um, the story necessarily. You're like, well, it's got Will Smith, it's got um, Margot Robbie, Jared Leto, whoever, and you say this is going to be good because all these people have attached themselves. I think for me the issue of her very short shorts is that they look uncomfortable. (laughs) And I just got the feeling probably we'll hear this in an interview someday. Margot Robbie will say that they were uncomfortable to wear all day. It wasn't so much that, that she thought they were too revealing, you know, they're for the character and everything, but I just feel like they're probably 
uh, hard to wear for a long period of time. Um, the soundtrack, Lloyd, this was a real highlight for me. When House of the Rising Sun came on, I, I remembered your short film with that in it, you know? <laughs> the soundtrack to this film was absolutely incredible, maybe a bit overused um, in, a lot, in a lot of segments. Like, it's just like, geez, is that another pop hit? You know what I mean? But it, it, um, it did energise me. Like, it was used in really... Uh, really well in a lot of key scenes and that it, it really uh, caused a lot of enthusiasm to my crowd especially they're like yeah you know because I saw this on opening night and um, I didn't have a full complete packed theater but everyone in there seemed like hardcore DC fans yeah I mean Eminem kicks in that's for a certain audience Rolling Stones kicks in that's for a certain audience and it just it felt like a great CD like people are going to go get the album afterwards and and for me I compare Suicide Squad mostly with Guardians of the Galaxy. They're kind of a ragtag bunch who are put together, and that as well had a kick-ass sort of soundtrack, so that feels like the Marvel equivalent to this DC film. By the end, you know, they've formed a team and they're sort of heroes, despite the fact they were criminals and at the beginning and thieves. I kept saying in the podcast leading up to this that I wanted the Dirty Dozen um, but you know, a superhero form of that, and I, and I like, I, I'm, we're going to get to it. I have a lot of issues with uh, Suicide Squad, but at the end of the day, I had a really fun time watching this movie. There were so many moments where I was almost off my seat, cheering, like standing up. It was so cool, and I just like like all the moments with the squad, like uh, just being with the team. Uh, there are a few which we'll get to, a few characters which I think just w- were completely wasted or, or they they just didn't seem accurate to what their characters would actually be doing my i have problems with katana i have problems with diablo i don't think croc was that strong of a character like he should have been funnier like a like the animated series series sort of style i love it how though they didn't go to cgi for croc it was a guy in actual makeup which i you know credit to them i think that that's a, a, a look in the right direction I, I, had a, I had a really fun time at the end of the day watching um suicide squad well let's i mean let's roll through this so the opening of this film the first 20 minutes or so is viola davis introducing all these characters in uh, the longest kind of opening introduction there's a lot of exposition stuff's flying on the screen for me i I did enjoy the phrase metahuman which the dc universe is using because obviously they can't say mutant (laughs) they can't use the the way they're describing the abilities there's that branding so they've got metahumans like superman was a metahuman and interestingly you know this takes place after superman's death and there was that quick shot of uh his you know very public funeral uh just to remind people if they hadn't seen batman vs superman it's sort of explained one by one. I mean, Deadshot, it flashes back and shows his 11-year-old daughter and you get his kind of backstory. I thought Will Smith did a good job in this. We'll just run I, through all I the characters. Was, I thought he was absolutely fantastic. He was definitely probably my favourite in the whole uh, movie. And, uh, yeah, Will Smith, uh, just like Margot Robbie, absolutely knocked it out of the park. I would love to see a, a, a Deadshot movie uh, just from this. Uh, I think it's really good. Absolutely. The thing I wasn't enjoying was the way they were sort of setting me up with all these flashbacks. Yeah, it was too excessive. Well, for me, I, I was got a bit sick of seeing how they got captured or the flashback to beforehand. Um, I probably would have enjoyed if the film opened with them actually catching someone, whether it was Deadshot or Harley or whoever. And, you know, that opening sequence could have been Joker in the club with Harley, where Batman helps, you know, tries to catch them, they go underwater, they do all that sort of stuff that we see, you know, she, he does CPR on Harley and she's awake and kisses him and whatever. And uh, then she can be dragged into this kind of facility where she meets all these people you know, um, and we sort of are introduced to them. We whip around, we see them all. So it's kind of in real time, you know, rather yeah, than... Yeah, I, I agree. Like, um, the way the Dirty Dozen was introduced, Lee Marvin just walks into each prison cell and talks to each of the key prisoners, and then we get a reveal of their backstory. That would have been so cool to have opened, yeah, with Margot Robbie being caught, being brought into the prison, and each prisoner she's talking to, we learn fragments of each one. I think they did that the closest with Diablo, who's just sitting in the tank, and then they show him a video, and that looked one of the fakest videos. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if it's something like they tried to make it 
it looked like security camera footage, how he burns all the other inmates, but that looked really fake. But I like it how they didn't actually cut to Sonic. They just showed him in real time, that uh, a video playing, and you got all his backstory, all the information you needed without having to cut to a flashback, although there's literally a video playing of what he did prior to that. We're still locked into that real time. Um, yeah, so that saved a lot of, you know, exposition. And um, then I figure you, you would introduce, you know, the dick kind of uh, guard, prison oh, guard. Oh, Griggs, uh, played by Ike Barinholtz, I think his name is. He, yeah. He, he looked like Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> well, sloppy Mark Wahlberg. But <laughs> yeah, I thought he was hilarious. I thought he was fantastic. Yeah, he was um, He was Seth Rogen's friend in Neighbours, which we've done on this podcast. He's a uh, regular on the Mindy Project. He's a funny guy. You could have then introduced, you know, uh, bring Harley Quinn in, uh, put her in the cell, then take him as a character and have him walking from cell to cell with another new guard. And the final cell can be the croc cell where the new guard gets killed or whatever. And then that guy dies and he's like, ah, you know, got to train someone else now or whatever. There could have been a lot more kind of humor to it. And just the way they were introduced, you could have even had a bit of flashback for a couple of them, but it was just too much. Well, what about not introducing some of the characters? What about Slipknot? Like, he oh. had death written all over him. I'm yeah. like, well, who's this? And, and he's a pretty good actor, the guy who plays him, you know. He's know. been in um, Cowboys and Aliens, you know. Like, um, uh, he, he made me cry in that movie. I, do, I, I can't believe I'm forgetting his name. I've actually written it down somewhere, but I'm scrolling through. I can't find it. <laughs> uh, I'll just but, keep talking while you find it, mate. Um, for me, like, the introduction of Captain Boomerang, you know, Jai Courtney, Australian actor, he's caught by the Flash in uh, a bank no vault. No honor amongst thieves. <laughs> yeah, he, he, um, he for me was the biggest joke character. He has a boomerang, and the way he was handled, they didn't get a big moment. He was sort of just there in the background. And if I don't know, I'll get to it in a minute. But if I'm putting together the Suicide Squad, I'm not sure if I'm choosing him. Uh, um, Adam Beecher was his name, by the way. Yeah, so they, they have Boomerang, and he's caught by the Flash, which is not a difficult task, because obviously his one thing is throwing a Boomerang. <laughs> yeah, he's got, like, I, I I always defend Jai Courtney, mainly because of Jack Reacher. I think Jack, Jack Reacher is an absolutely fantastic action film, and Jai Courtney did an amazing job as the top henchman to Werner Herzog, um, the, who's the main villain. Uh, and, and I thought Jai Courtney was really funny in this. He did he had a lot of great moments, like when he crushes all the... Um, all the phones with all their f files on it so he could blow up their necks. And then he goes, yeah, you guys are all free. And he immediately runs out of the bar. Or he's like um, goading uh, Diablo going, what, what do you do again? Oh, you have fire. i got fire. i got fire right here. You know, and he's waving. He had so many funny lines that he's like how they're all battling each each other. Like, sorry, um, they're battling all those monsters. And then he's sneaking away trying to get a drink. And then finally, yeah, he, he was fantastic. And he was he there has, for comic relief, but he exactly, didn't have any skills. I, I, I thought he was used really Really well, and I think the overall joke of Suicide Squad for him was that he does have a pathetic ability. Like he only throws two boomerangs in the movie, and one of them, like both ineffective. One is like used as a camera, like a drone, which doesn't end up coming back anyway. You know, and I think that was the joke. You know, <laughs> he's like the Hawkeye of this group. <laughs> oh well, Hawkeye's I, I argue is very effective. Yeah, more effective, I'm sure. Yeah, <laughs> but than you know, the boomerang. <laughs> what I mean is he's immortal with skills. You know, I feel like Deadshot has some kind of innate ability to be amazing at shooting. You know, he can't miss. But whereas Boomerang just feels like a dude who has boomerang skills, like uh, like just kind of a gruff. Anyway, for me, that uh, boomerang he throws with a camera attached. Think about the physics of that. If you attached a camera to a boomerang and threw it, the camera would be spinning at the same speed as the boomerang. You would never get that clear drone-looking resolution picture quality that you see, you know? That really why, frustrated me. Why do you have to me. ruin this for me, man? <laughs> oh, there are some holes in this film, man. But um, people seem to be going to it, you know? Uh, the, hype, the hype is there, it exists, and it's pushing people into the cinemas. That's working for them. I just feel like it's a bit of a slapdash kind of movie. Um, they introduce El Diablo... And he lost his woman. And they, again, they did show some footage. That was probably the best one, as you said. The killer croc they introduce, which they treat him like an animal. He is an animal. 
Uh, he just acts like an animal, and he doesn't get a lot of screen time, to be honest. He, um, yeah, I, I, th- I thought he was really weak, man. Like, uh, just some of his lines weren't that funny as well. I don't know if it was the delivery of them or the the way, the direction they went, they chose to go with Croc. But uh, I think Croc should be one of the scariest, but also at the same time funniest, or like maybe a big friendly giant, but he looks absolutely terrifying. Uh, I, he just seems so small as well, his presence. He just wasn't, I don't know, a croc I always imagine is this big, massive dude that Batman always struggled fighting. But maybe I'm bringing too much to the to the theatre when, um, when watching Suicide Squad. Well, I mean, even if you compare him to Drax, played by Batista in the Guardians of the Galaxy, a big, tough guy who's intimidating and like a kind of a monster of a man. Drax's story is, you know, he lost his family, he's got like a revenge angle, but even he's humanised by the end, you know. Um, we get to know him. I feel like I don't know anything about Croc. You know, he's and two-dimensional. And he's funny as well. Drax is absolutely hilarious. Whereas Killer Croc's jokes didn't land. Th- that would have been a good uh, moment to cast a, a well-known wrestler like um, Guardians of the Galaxy did with um, with Batista. Um, the, 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 a bit of a missed opportunity there. Well, uh, then we get Enchantress, who there's a lot to say about, but they give us the archaeology, uh, archaeologist, archaeo, oh, I'm going to get this. Archaeological, <laughs> archaeologist, and uh, she she goes to a cave and you know awakens the enchantress. The coolest thing was how she says enchantress, and that hand interlocks oh with gosh. her hand. I think enchantress is actually a really really cool villain. I, I thought she was actually going to be one of the main. Are members of the Suicide Squad. I was like, okay, well, why not just have her? All the rest can go away. Like the the you got the best member in the entire crew. You know, she's a one man army. There must be something more to fear to Viola Davis's character, especially with the way how she she just seems like the most powerful person. On the in the world of um, DC, right? Just in the human world, I guess. It just seems weird how the whole screw up at the end is because of her. Like it just feels like she wanted Enchantress to go crazy, and then so she could identify something within her. And it just seemed like the climax or the character Enchantress just seems so wasted. Like I'm just like, I, okay, I, I'm not quite getting it. Like she has a brother, and the brother was the weakest, Dave. Oh, the weakest thing, Incubus. Uh, when she brings him, oh, that was so pathetic. Like, he looks so bad. The CGI looked like something from the early 2000s. You know, he, he the looked mummy. like a bad video game boss. Oh, gosh. That they had to beat before they could fight Enchantress. Because like she the- looked cool. Like, she could have had some grudge-like powers or the ring-like powers. There's something so eerie about this witch that's been here for several hundred years or whatever. Well, and it's at age 6373, 6,000... 6,000, she goes, yeah. she's probably going to be here um, um, well after us. And I love that idea. She, it was just so cool. And she just became so generic at the end. The biggest fault with this movie for me are the villains. They're just not strong enough. It almost became like the issue we had with Age of Ultron, where Ultron might be an okay villain, but they just didn't pose a threat. And everyone just had a field day killing, you know, the Ultron's henchmen. I guess, you know, our heroes in this film are villains as well. So this is the problem is that we're introduced to a whole cool bunch of bad guys, including the Joker, and then we have to settle for someone for them to fight. And that someone better be Thanos, you know? (laughs) Like someone better be really good, really well built up, and the writing just wasn't there for the villain. Did you notice that Flag had a flag on his hat? No. He had an American flag on his hat. That bothered me, and I don't know why. I was just like, okay, his name's Flag. He's got a flag on his head. Anyway. (laughs) Look, I had a reasonably full cinema, but there was not a lot of laughs for me. I know you went with the hardcore uh, fans. I just went on, um, you know, uh, Thursday night, and and it just maybe wasn't wasn't the hardcore group. Uh, Maybe it wasn't as funny. I don't know. I can't explain it. <laughs> I'm guessing you, you went to midnight screening, didn't you? Um, yeah, that's right. I, I saw this on opening night um, in 3D at Hoyt's uh, Cinema. But the midnight screening is like, you know, the most dedicated of all fans. So <laughs> Yeah, and it was a great turnout. Like um, Hoyt's opened up a lot of cinemas um, for this. I don't know where the big majority went, but there were a lot of people lining up when I went to see this. I feel like at the end I would have enjoyed one of the people from Suicide Squad still being a villain or taking off, not wanting to be a part of it and actually escaping, you know, even if like it was Captain Boomerang or something, you know, just going, nah, I'm out, I'm free, I'm not in prison. If he was drinking in a bar at the end or, you know, had had escaped the prison 
situation. The best line, I think, comedically, was when they had a gun to... Um, I'll call him Morgan from the Mindy Project, but Ike, whoever the prison guard was, when Deadshot has a gun to his head and he says, if he shoots me, I want you to kill him and then clear my browser history. <laughs> you know, it was just sort of a nice little throwaway line that just, it, it was right what was needed. I thought he was a real breath of fresh air to the film, to be honest. Like oh, yeah, guy. a character like that I haven't seen in many superhero movies at all. So I'll just talk about the Joker for a minute. Uh, Jared Leto portrays the Joker in this film, and it's obviously big shoes to fill following Heath Ledger's Academy Award-winning Joker. The thing is, I found him so very watchable. Um, he has the face tattoos, and the, the general look of this Joker was really interesting to me. The way he seems so kind of fluid in every scene. There's that shot where he's surrounded by guns and knives, and he lies down laughing. And in the top right corner, I don't know if you noticed, there was uh, baby clothes, like a onesie for a boy and a girl. Oh, no, I, I didn't notice any of the baby clothing at all. See, I mean, little things like that about the Joker made me really invested in the story. But I think the problem was, I feel like the Joker was underused. And I know he wasn't the main villain, but I feel like he wasn't in enough scenes for me to even judge and compare. Yeah, I needed more of, of that Joker, and I, I'm sure I'll get it in a Harley Quinn uh, standalone movie, they'll get Jared Leto in there. I just feel like, um, yeah, I didn't take away enough from the performance, yeah, to be happy with it. I don't, I don't think he was on set that many days, you know? I, I just feel like he was secondary. I think it would have been uh, really effective had, like, the first full... For, uh, the first time we actually fully see the Joker was when he tries to rescue Harley Quinn. And then you hear that laugh and he's firing that AK. I think that would have been so much more effective rather than have uh, you sprinkling him throughout the whole film. Like either have him more prominently or have him um, just like a, like, you know, just for a few scenes. And then that way we get that taste of the Joker. Like, oh, I want to see more of him rather than we, we both equally have this frustrating sort of um, interpretation of, of um, the, the Joker. They just showed maybe too much of him and not enough at the same time. I wrote in my notes halfway through the film, I said, uh, you know, we hadn't gone on the mission yet. Uh, they were just forming the team. I wrote like, so much Enchantress, so little Boomerang. <laughs> You know, just the focus was on Enchantress for so long, we should have probably picked that she was a bigger part of the film. I want to talk about Batman in this as well, because Ben Affleck's Batman, he's in this. And we, we know that from the trailer, if you, if you notice him on the roof uh, of the Joker's car, that shot's in the trailer, and people knew he was in it. So I feel like he was underused as well. I would have enjoyed him having a conversation with Viola Davis as Batman, saying, you got to call off your squad or whatever, and then that would have made the mid-credits sequence make more sense, which we'll talk about in a minute. But Ben Affleck as Batman, he was in one sequence, really. Well, I, I, I got I got two sequences when he tried to arrest um, Deadshot Red. as well, yeah. Yeah, Deadshot, and then obviously when he got um, Harley Quinn. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I didn't. I feel like at some point someone should have put up a bat signal or he should have been involved in what was going on because it was sort of Gotham, wasn't it? I mean... Well, I, I was I was actually happy with how much Batman was in this um, th throughout the whole film. I, I was just like questioning, well, what's Batman doing at this moment when while the Suicide Squad team are trying to take out the Metahuman, sorry, the uh, Enchantress and her brother? I was like, uh, is Batman going to come in and help out? You know. <laughs> I guess it seems like he's just putting together his Justice League. Yeah, yeah. I think they'll explain that. that in the in the next movie, sure. They played White, White Stripes, Seven Nation Army um, as the team is assembling. And as well, they play Eminem, as I said, like minutes later as they're suiting up. So I did enjoy the line uh, where Harley Quinn says, I'm known to be quite vexing, you know, just forewarning you, you know, she, she had a lot of fun lines. And, you know, to focus on Margot Robbie for a minute, like I said, I think this is her iconic role. She gets dressed in front of everyone in that sequence and everyone's looking. I mean, we, we as an audience don't get to see it all, but presumably she's stripped down. I did have a problem with where they all got that stuff. You know, they all had those customized outfits made. For example, like when Harlequin was arrested, she was in like a ball gown. Okay. And then when she's put in prison, she's, she hasn't got that, uh, you know, property of the Joker jacket. Uh, and that customized baseball bat. These aren't things that she went into prison with. So they've created them for her or sourced her own clothes. 
Yeah, m- I don't know. Maybe when they arrested her, they found a trunk full of her clothes. <laughs> but then that's the case for all of them. Uh, they all have like their own. Like when Deadshot was arrested, he was in the street wearing a hat and a coat. You know, they've. He wasn't wearing the Deadshot outfit with the mask. I just had a problem. Like the government had supplied them all with outfits. It just annoyed me. I, I never interpreted that uh, as that at all. I just thought maybe they seized all their assets um, once they got arrested and they've just cu- held it all in the storage area. Like Viola Davis, um, it implies that she's so powerful she can source anything that these guys want. And, yeah, I, I didn't think that at all, actually. She was incredibly powerful. Do you know that sequence where they erased all the drives and then she yeah. shoots her whole team? <laughs> yeah, that was like, okay, this is, you know, somebody just don't ever want to mess with. Uh, Viola Davis, um, as well as with Margot Robbie and Will Smith, absolutely knocked it out of the park. I think she's fantastic, uh, an absolutely fantastic actor. Last minute after they've all assembled as a team, they're like, hey, and by the way, this is Katana. She speaks Japanese sometimes. No one else speaks Japanese to her, and then later she speaks English, so don't worry about it. Oh, by the way, her husband is in that sword as a soul. (laughs) So secondary, wasn't it? And this is Slipknot. Don't worry about him. He'll be dead soon. (laughs) Uh, When he was introduced, there was no backstory. I was like, who's this guy? And then when... Yeah, I know. I know. Like, why not just have him there in the prison the whole time? If you're assembling the Suicide Squad... All right, is this the team you pick or are there any people here you don't bring? Because Slipknot's power is like he's a master of ropes. I don't know how useful that's going to be. I'm bringing Deadshot. He's my number one choice. You need the guy who doesn't miss. He could. You could have just brought Deadshot. Anyway, uh, Harlequin's a bit of a loose cannon. I don't know if I would have brought her necessarily because she's got some fighting ability, but that's all she sort of brings to the table. I'm not bringing Boomerang. I'm bringing the fire guy, Diablo. Enchantress, if you can control her, but... I mean, did you feel like, you know, Killer Croc as he's underused and yeah, what are you going to do? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I thought they were going to have a, a warm-up mission together. We sh- would have seen how they work together. I was shocked that, like, the mission that they were on was like, oh, this is the movie now, you know, this is how it's going to end. But, like, I guess you can kind of argue the warm-up mission was rescuing Viola Davis before the actual main battle began where, they, where it was a big showdown between them and um, uh, the Enchantress and her brother. I wrote, um, you know, Enchantress was kissing all of these randoms and they were all transforming into... What would you do? How would you describe them? Um, uh, rock monsters, putty <laughs> soldiers from Power Rangers, big pieces of shit. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote down, um, who are these very killable level one goons with faceless alien <laughs> thumbs? <laughs> the design was so uninspired. Like, the design work of um, Enchantress looked so amazing. Like, a bit of um, a- Asian horror there, but mostly, obviously, from an Aztec um, sort of mythology. Mm-hmm. And then you get these spawns that she's making, and it's just like the designer was just giving the finger to the, you know, to the whole team. Like, well, did you up... Did, did the pr- production team team um, insult the designer because there was no effort put into these rock monsters and oh my gosh I was so disappointed um, with the design uh, of this film because you got 170 million dollars you couldn't hire a designer like with a bit of inspiration like go to Guillermo del Toro hire him for a weekend jeez Cara Delevingne who Delevingne who plays um, the Enchantress very beautiful and they kept putting her in bikinis and you know using her for her femininity. Uh, I don't know why she had to kiss everyone to transform them because it felt like a wave of her hands would have done that. Yeah, it's like, do you have to kiss all these guys? (laughs) Yeah. It's like, geez, she's kissing a lot of people, guys, girls, whoever. The first major battle scene where they engage these rock monsters, I guess, that's, like, despite my issues with the design of them, that is one of the coolest action scenes I have seen in a long time. Like, it was awesome. Like, I was really, uh, like, revved up at that scene. But the key moment was when they're, like, almost falling back and Will Smith pushes... Oh, sorry, Deadshot um, pushes forward and he single-handedly is like a one-man army, just starts gunning down everyone and everyone just stops firing and watches him as he advances and takes out this entire army. The music, the rhythm of editing, Will Smith's performance. Oh, my gosh. That that sequence where Will Smith is just gunning down all those goons single-handedly is one of the best sequences 
action sequences I've seen since Hit Girl rescues her father in Kick-Ass 1, uh, when Nicolas Cage is tied down burning. Um, that's how good I put this sequence in. It, it's just absolutely amazing. That was a lot of fun, and I enjoyed the sequence. You're learning everyone's abilities, you're watching everybody fight, and the Deadshot stuff was great. And I have real trouble not referring to him as Deadpool, by the way. I'm <laughs> trying very hard to say Deadshot every it's time. It's red as well. <laughs> yeah, he's wearing red and the, half the name. The thing was, when... They all those uh, rock monsters, as we'll call them, when they attack Flag, and then Harlequin says "Good riddance" or whatever. But you know, he reminds her that if he dies, if Flag dies, they die, and uh, they all rescue him and all that sort of stuff. Then a few minutes later, when they're in the building, the exact same sequence basically happens. And I felt like, haven't we already done this? That we're fighting more rock monsters and Flag gets grabbed again. And, like, why do they care to grab Flag? Like, who who programmed these rock monsters to do that? Anyway, that was a bit repetitive the second time. And as well, you know, they, the stuff in the building, they really only did that to highlight um, Diablo's firepower. And they didn't need to do that. He could have been resistant the whole time. And then when he transforms at the end into the giant fire monster, that we all would have been impressed. Like, he wouldn't have had I, to do anything. I hated I hated when he transferred into the Aztec God. I thought that was one of the worst moments of the movie. I was, he goes, what's up now? And I was just like, wow, this looks like two CGI crap monsters fighting each other. Yeah, but, I mean, that was his moment. Uh, in terms of a character, you know, he he fights for his new family, which wasn't it wasn't done very well. Uh, <laughs> did, did you think I, about- I like it how he sacrifices himself, though. That, that was really interesting. Yeah, I have a question about that. So, underneath they've put a bomb and Scott Eastwood's character plugs the bomb in there and they tell him to blow it. And Scott Eastwood is right there. He'd be dead. Yeah, they don't give him a moment as well, like goodbye, sir, or anything like that. He's just, like, expected to be sacrificed and died. I, I like how both parties there, both the villain and the Suicide Squad, have to lose a guy and then they had to lose a guy. But it just seems so weird how a bomb could just destroy that... that um, Entity, uh, yeah that entity well it was just like well can't you guys just fire a lot of missiles at these guys like what one like have a ground team in there to spot them and then go yeah they're right in this location shoot a missile and then blow them all up it just seemed like so weird that oh that's all it took was a bomb there was a lot of holes we've talked about this but enchantress she was like people worship machines now so i'll build a machine to wipe everybody out. That's your plan? You just got to build this blue thing that fires into the sky? <laughs> well, it was. It reminded me of Ghostbusters and had that flying ring of garbage, which I thought was a really bad metaphor, like flies around this project. <laughs> but, um, like, her plan is that she has to, like, stand there building this thing. And I was like, come on, this is... Can't you use the your powers to push a cloud of smoke across the earth and just wipe people out? Like, is this necessary? Because it doesn't feel necessary, and an explosion can take that lightning, out as well. A lightning bolt device? She she took out the satellites, and I'm assuming that was the machine she built, yeah? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure. Because I, I, I understand, like, you exactly what you said. She did keep saying, I'm going to build a machine that they'll all worship, and I, I'm not quite sure what she was building. I'm assuming it was just this big electric doomsday device that blasted all the satellites took them all out and then you know just again what we discussed in um tarzan like all these movies have to have the world at stake you know like the entire world it can't just be a city or a, or a bomb in a in a big hospital the heroes have to or the villains here have to find find and destroy you know um just so disappointing it had to retreat to such conventional plotting at the end and as well there was a massive sequence where they're all attacking enchantress and they're hand-to-hand combat fighting her and I was just rolling my eyes at that point because... I, I was rolling my eyes too. That was so weak. And I kept thinking, why doesn't she just use magic and she can teleport? Why, why would she bother? Why is she bother? using swords? Well, yeah, like you have a villain, like there's some interesting moments in that climax where she's um, showing a lot of mind games. She can actually get inside these people's heads and then showcase... Um, their their innermost dreams and desires, and it's of course Diablo who goes, no, 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 none of this is real because he's had that traumatic experience in his past, so he's able to resist whatever the temptress or the enchantress is trying to throw at them. But that 
element of mind games, you can go in so many different directions. And it's interesting, both Marvel and DC, Marvel with um, the Scarlet Witch character and she's able to cause those mind games in Age of Ultron, both these movies failed with that device. I think under a different kind of director, maybe more Asian eastern sort of styled um uh, films could get away with that like they're very good at probing into those sort of mind game sort of like um uh, devices but both these massive blockbuster superhero films just completely failed with that and then you had the enchantress moving around doing like weird dancing i actually didn't mind that i've read a lot of um hate um reviews like what was she doing at the end but i don't know it just kind of reminded me of her primal roots back when she was worshipped like that's how she would have spoke to um, um, millions of worshippers, this eerie-looking movement dance thing that she was doing. Oh, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, yeah, I'm a serum. But I, I completely agree that she was so she was just reduced to a, an evil villain just trying to fight hand-to-hand against six other people who barely had any superhero powers. Like, they could have went in so many different directions. It could have been really sinister. Like, the way they, fo- the, they all fought Enchantress could have been a really dramatic moment. Instead, it was just this really pathetic... Um, you know, everyone, you know, you know, almost as bad as X-Men vs. Apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> when uh, she is showing them their fantasies, I thought it was like, you know, Diablos was obvious, his kids and wife are alive and he can live in that. You know, you get the Harley Joker fantasy that they have kids and that must have been something they wanted one day, that they must have talked about it because in that shot with the Joker, there's those two onesies. You know, that was a plan for them. As well, like, they look very normal and she wants a normal relationship with him, even though they're nothing but uh, abnormal, I suppose. And then, but I found it really interesting that Deadshot's fantasy was to kill Batman. Like, it wasn't anything about his daughter graduating from one of those colleges or Yale or whatever. It was like that he killed Batman. That's a really good point. I, I interpreted that as like, oh, that was the moment that he gave up. Like he listened to his daughter and then didn't chose not to shoot Batman and that's why he's in prison. If I could take back one moment, it would have been to kill Batman so I'm not in prison. But yeah, now that you mentioned, I'm thinking, about, yeah, well, it could have just flashed to him and he, with his daughter. And he- <laughs> or being a proud dad in the audience as his daughter graduates. As well, I thought it would have been fun if they showed us what Boomerang was thinking there, which was him surrounded by beer and women or something, you know, that... There was room for more comedy there. They should have had more characters die at that moment as well. Like, we had Diablo die at that climactic moment, um, again, with self-sacrifice, but Enchantress doesn't take out anyone. I feel Katana should have definitely been one, and maybe Croc, or or maybe Boomerang, just to show that the bad guy is effective. Like, uh, you know, it does cost the team. But by not having anyone die, again, like Age of Ultron, although Quicksilver dies, it just takes away from the drama. So you're telling me that Scott Eastwood's death was in vain? (laughs) If he was built up a lot, like if we saw a lot more of him, yeah, it would have been a much more effective death. Yeah, he barely had any lines. And he's going to be in the new Fast and Furious film, uh, sort of filling in for I suppose Paul Walker I did a video and we were speculating about who would fill the shoes of Paul Walker if they were to bring in another cast member and I picked three very similar looking white men and uh, Scott Eastwood was on my short list and I didn't keep him never mind I was annoyed by the begrudging respect that Flag and Deadshot sort of have for each other I found it frustrating that the two of them had this, like, no, you're a coward, you're a soldier, oh, well, you're just a paid mercenary for hire, you know, depending on the bank balance. And they sort of come to be cool with each other. It felt very predictable and had been done before, but they threw in a lot of stuff I really liked visually. Uh, The chemical bath sequence with uh, Joker and Harlequin, that I found fascinating, especially because she jumps of her own free will and she knows she's going to land in chemicals. And then he jumps in after her like he's just as crazy. And then the colour sequence of the uh, the red and blue, which is sort of swirling around them when they um, come up from the chemical bath. It was very iconic, I thought. That was the only colourful moment really in the movie. Like the posters and the opening credits seem to give this impression of this crazy, almost psychedelic flavor to the whole movie comic book yeah yeah but it it, in the end it just became it the whole tone of the movie felt like escape from new york with uh kurt russell like uh, just that really cold blue dark city 
um, nightscape the entire time. Um, so I was a bit disappointed with the colour palette of, of the whole movie. For me, uh, the way this was edited together was frustrating. Uh, that scene where he does electrocute uh, Harlequin, they did all this editing where he's jumping around and laughing and... Did you notice that? Yeah. Was a- <laughs> like, it was the filmmakers trying to tell us, oh, by the way, this guy's insane. You don't really need to edit the film itself to give that information across. Like, it's all jagged, it's all memory and, y- you know, er- everything like that. Like, we're in this inside the Joker's point of view. I, d- I think they just went a bit too far there. As well, that took away from probably the acting performances Jared Leto was giving at that time. At, at times, too, when they all stop in the bar... I thought it really slowed the movie down. It was fine. Yeah, it, it was a necessary moment, definitely, just to get to know them. But there were a lot of faults with what the characters did there, I felt, especially with Katana, how she left um, uh, Colonel Flagg. Um, there she she just, like, because uh, Will Smith goes, I found all the secret documents, which he read really quickly in 30 seconds, this big, massive binder. He chucks it and he goes, oh, I know, I know what's going on. And the, it's your girlfriend or whatever. And then he walks off to have a drink. She, um, Harley Quinn joins him. Everyone else joins him. And then Katana does. But Katana's there. She should be a loyal bodyguard to, you know, um, Colonel Flagg. I, I didn't get that at all. Like a, a big mistake there with a, a couple of the characters. Yeah, and I felt like it was... At that point, I was thinking, geez, this feels like a very long movie. Just the pacing to stop there in the bar. I mean, it should have been a shorter sequence. As well, like, Flag was carrying around mail from Deadshot's daughter <laughs> yeah. the whole time. And, like, a big stack of it. <laughs> and we didn't see them loading up. They would have ran through a lot of ammunition c- killing all those guys. Like, they didn't reload up or anything like that. They didn't get another supply. But yeah, that that was supposed to foreshadow the key line that Margot Robbie says when he, she rips out the heart of um, of the Enchantress, like, you're messing with my family. I never got that they were really a tight family at all. Like, this is a ragtag group put there effectively doing what they're doing because a gun is pointed at their head, you know? And uh, it's just weird, like, uh, the film has seemed to have suggested, oh, you remember that bar scene? They're much closer together now. Like, yeah, you know, I mean, our family. <laughs> Fast and the Furious does. We're a family best. But they, they earn do, it, though. But they, they've had seven films to do that. Exactly, yeah. They've bonded over time. And I feel like if I saw The Suicide Squad and the plot of this film was forming The Suicide Squad and by the end they were a family and a team, even if this was one mission and the Joker was involved and at the end Harlequin goes off with the Joker in an escape, then at the end they're like, well... Let's suit up, guys. We're going after them. And they were a team, you know? That would have been more realistic. All the Enchantress stuff, I would completely remove the flag Enchantress storyline from this whole film. Yeah, it was a good idea. Very poorly executed. Uh, Just with the director, David Ayer, or Ayer, however you pronounce it, I think he's absolutely fantastic. He's a very, very talented filmmaker, specifically Fury, I think was a very good film. Um, A few scenes I really didn't like in it. Uh, Overall, I really, really enjoyed uh, Fury. And when he was assigned to direct Suicide Squad, I just went, well, this is one of the best directors you can hope for. To, to make um, this film and throughout it there are really awesome moments where I just felt the synergy of the team the um, action sequence was were just really cool like building up to the showdown like um, who's behind what like you, you know um, is Viola Davis gonna ha- does she have another trick up her sleeve what's going on you're never really quite sure what's going on there with the government aspect of it uh, it just feels like there's a lot of committee involved in this film as well. Oh, you got to include this, you got to include that. And what should have been a small man on a mission movie blows out to this massive um, film that almost is on the scale of Man of Steel and Batman vs Superman when it shouldn't have been a lot of the times. So I, I just feel um, David Iyer was given some really bad cards to play with here. But again, I did, I, I just remember coming out of this movie going, oh, that was a lot of fun. And it could have been because I, you know, have been watching a lot of crap recently like Ghostbusters. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, you guys can listen to our Ghostbusters podcast. I think it was the one before this episode or before Tarzan actually. Two episodes ago. Which one do you reckon is better, Suicide Squad Batman, or, or Batman vs Superman? Unfortunately, I think Suicide Squad. Yeah, I, I think Suicide Squad as well. 
And that's really sad for the DC universe um, because I feel like at the end of this film, and we'll jump into it now, we see Amanda Waller, Viola Davis, meet up with Bruce Wayne, Ben Affleck, and uh, Bruce Wayne is looking for some top-secret documents from her and she hands him uh, some files. This is the mid-credits scene. Bruce sees, uh, I think it's Enchantress is the first picture, yeah. then The Flash, and then Aquaman. That's that's exactly how the characters should have been revealed in Batman vs Superman, just a simple PDF or a file, and we see, we briefly see the... Fi- and then everyone would have been talking about, oh, who was that character, what was that symbol? You know, everyone would have been piecing together this puzzle but instead we have to show trailers for each one so i think david ayer did a really good job revealing um you know justice league if david ayer did in fact direct that scene yeah i'm sure there's there's a lot of elements and a lot of uh, have to put in this etc uh but then like you say viola davis's character amanda waller is really powerful she says uh you know i don't believe in friendship i believe in leverage and uh, you look tired, you should stop working nights, implies that she knows he's Batman. And then he replies, if you don't shut it down, someone will do it for you. Or, you know, like, um, stop the program, like stop the Suicide Squad program. That seems to be what he's implying. The thing is, though, if, if that's what happens, then this was a standalone movie. Like, those characters can come back in smaller doses, but probably... That was it for Suicide Squad, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, where do, where do you think DC movies stand at this moment? Like, uh, obviously, we've got the mighty Marvel there. Like, I, and I don't like the rivalry at all. Like, I, I, I do like the passion behind it. Like, people going, no, I'm team DC, I'm team Marvel. But it's, it's just becoming really nasty. Like, people are defending the DC films too aggressively. They're not admitting to a lot of faults. Um, and then you got Marvel um, people who are just attacking it too aggressively, not admitting to the um, good points of some of the movies. Where do you think the DC movies stand at this moment after investing hundreds and hundreds of millions in three films that aren't being as successful critically as that they hoped um, would have been? For me, Wonder Woman is important. It's going to be a big deal for them if it's done right. And it's a big deal for a, you know a woman to have... Uh, Uh, be the star of a superhero film like uh, Captain Marvel is going to be Brie Larson for Marvel and um, that's going to be great for them but like Wonder Woman's going to hit first so if Wonder Woman is a big hit and the trailer looks pretty good that can steer them in the right direction then Justice League is right around the corner and that's going to feature Flash and Aquaman and Cyborg and whoever else and it could be done right it could be done like Avengers it's just been a really terrible introduction because as we all know, Marvel had films and films to introduce people, and they had Samuel L. Jackson's character, Nick Fury, at the end credits, putting the pieces together for us. Here, we've got Batman doing it, and he's sort of really late to the party because we're already seeing The Flash, and I stand by what I said before. I'm not sure about Aquaman as a film. I'm very sceptical about that, and I think it's the one I'm least looking forward to. But pretty much... You know, I think it hinges on Wonder Woman and it will definitely depend on Justice League because if Justice League is not a hit and doesn't work, then that's the end, really. Um, everything they do is for a niche audience and Marvel wins, basically. And Marvel is winning, I suppose, because everything they're doing is very mainstream and it's all working. They're, they're struggling to fail. Not since Eric Banner's Hulk and uh, Thomas Jane's Punisher have they really had kind of a big flop Everything's working yeah, for them, really. They've had too many good films to remember the bad ones. Like, no one really talks about how bad Iron Man 2 is. No one really talks about how forgettable Thor 2 has been, although I didn't mind Thor 2, or how bad Fantastic Four went, or um, Wolverine. Like, we both both reviewed that one where he's Japan. You know, perfectly serviceable, just, like, not on the same level as Civil War or, you know, um, Age of Ultron as well was a bit meh, but we both said, no, it wasn't too bad. I don't think the last three, Man of Steel, Batman vs Superman, Suicide Squad, have been disasters at all. I think they've been perfectly serviceable. There are issues with each one of them, like huge issues, but still I would buy any of these on Blu-ray and watch them and still go, oh, yeah, that, that, that was pretty fun. Mind you, I did watch um, Batman vs Superman, the ultimate cut, 
again recently, Dave, and I just want to quickly say there are great moments that really push the de- the detective part of Batman and the investigative journalism of Superman and uh, Lois Lane, but nothing can band-aid that, that moment where he goes Martha or he goes, you, who, wh- wh- say her name, why did you say her name when it's revealed that the, both the mothers shared the same um, name? It is so shocking watching it a second time. I'm just like, how can these two great ac- or actors or this great production team be in a rehearsal, rehearse that moment and go, yeah, let's do this? It is so bad. <laughs> mm. And if the Joker's mum's name is Martha, we're going to have a real problem. Oh, gosh. <laughs> we're going to have serious issues. <laughs> I feel like if if Joker uh, was a really popular version and everyone said he's better than Heath Ledger and this is amazing, then they would, uh, as you say, shoehorn him into other movies. He's going to be shoehorned into Harlequin, but that makes sense for her story. But then they'd kind of shoo him into Justice League when he's probably not going to be the villain of Justice League, you know. But I don't think he was uh, was given enough screen time. I love the method acting of Jared Leto. I love the idea that he's sending people gifts and that he's in character on set the whole time. I love the idea I, I, that somebody... I've heard some of those gifts. I just think some of it... I think he went too far in a lot of cases. Well, I think it's kind of funny. And, like, I'm thinking he thought it was kind of funny. Hey, didn't, uh, he get, didn't he send used condoms to other actors? To the crew and stuff, yeah, and live oh. animals and I, I dead don't know, animals. For his performance, like I'm just like, oh, you know, I know I understand you're going method acting, but you're not that good. <laughs> but again, he wasn't given that great. Just from Suicide Squad, that's not a great example of how far he went as the Joker. We need to see more of him. So for us to walk away with an accurate opinion of how did Jared Leto go as the Joker, we can't really give that opinion because you don't really fully see him in the Suicide Squad. Again, that's why I, I hold strong to my opinion that we probably should have seen even less of the Joker because the 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 moments he sprinkled throughout this whole movie is just more frustrating than it is intriguing. And I, but I do think that moment he does rescue Harley Quinn was so cool. His laugh, how he's holding the machine gun, the whole ing- brilliant plan of the Joker, how he was able to find out who developed the um, the tablet that went into the neck, and he was able to you know cancel out that that bomb. That was all really awesome. And uh, Ben Affleck is going to direct a standalone Batman movie as well, which. And I he's think, an excellent director. I just hope um, the, the studios don't pressure him like they did to David Ayer. <laughs> well, it's supposed to be like a, a new story as well. So I love that idea that no one has anything from the comic books to compare it to. Looking forward to that. And I, I would love to see the Joker in that as well. I would yeah, have loved he, to have seen Ben Affleck it. seems to have a lot more power as well. Like just that star power to say, no, no, this is what I want to do. And he just seems to have a bit more of a shield against the, the pressures of the studio. I mean, when they backed up the money truck to his house, <laughs> he said, "This will do." Everyone has a price, Lloyd. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. He's, well, he's almost like a what is he? Ninety-four percent on each of his films on IMDb or something. Oh, sorry, on Rotten Tomatoes. That's really impressive. Yeah. Look, I mean, people enjoyed him as Batman, but I, I feel like he was he was solid in Batman vs Superman. He was just underused and didn't like he didn't disappoint. And the same with the Joker here. I feel they're both fine, like you say, perfectly serviceable, like they do the job. There's just nothing that really makes me go, oh my gosh, they're my favourite new Batman or Joker. They're just just fine for this iteration, you know. Well, it's Margot Robbie month on Podme if you can. And Lloyd, it was a pleasure to do um, this one. Um, Margot Robbie's latest performance, obviously, in Suicide Squad. We've done Tarzan as well, which was her latest film before Suicide Squad and uh, we're going to be going back through her catalogue for the rest of August so subscribe to us uh, podmeifyoucan.com you can find links to our YouTube channel we've got some uh, some really obscure Margot Robbie stuff coming up don't we Lloyd some uh, early career stuff yeah th- you're going to see a really interesting oh, Margot Robbie like you've never seen it before pretty much <laughs> yeah And, uh, you know, let us know, get in touch with us if there's something we missed or forgot or some perspective we need. Uh, You can find us on Twitter. You can find all the links at podmeifyoucan.com. The next thing you'll probably see for Margot Robbie Month will be a video on our YouTube channel and it'll probably be Z for Zachariah, which um, she starred in not long ago. 
Uh, but this was Suicide Squad, and uh, and we'll keep tabs on the DC Universe. We'll see how all this goes, and we'll uh, watch out for the standalone Harlequin movie, won't we, Lloyd? Oh, absolutely. I can't wait. I, th- I think that she was born to play that role. It's It's been a really iconic one for her, and this is... We're watching her just rise to fame over these films, and now I'm not sure, like... The next, it feels for me, what Margot Robbie will do is um, more serious, dramatic things, which lead towards Oscar nominations. You know, there has to be now a credibility to her as an actress. Once you get the kind of iconic fame pop roles, then it's about proving yourself, usually. I did find, I'll just say one more thing, when she was doing her accent as Harlequin, she sort of slipped into, like, a Boston accent Yeah, she's slipping in and out, but I guess you, she can hide behind the wildness of that character, Harlequin. I think so. Yeah. I kind of just interpreted that as kind of a multiple personality craziness. Absolutely, yeah, same. Cool. So, like, I, I didn't think she did a bad job with accents at all. Okay, we'll use the hashtag Margot Robbie Month uh, if you're talking about Pod Me If You Can, and you can use that on Instagram and Twitter, and we'll keep an eye out for it. And uh, stay tuned. Glued ears to the podcast, and uh, we'll have more for you next week. Hit it. for listening please like us on facebook and follow us on twitter go to www.podmeifyoucan.com pod me if you can movie reviews 